So I drove through Burger King one day, and I noticed the kid had a name tag. I said, hey, Lucifer, what's up? <laughs> Is that your real name? I was trying to imagine his mother. Like, he said, no, it's not my real name. I, I learned two things. One, that Burger King didn't take their name tags too seriously, and that that kid wasn't probably a follower of Jesus or the name of Lucifer wouldn't have been a joke to him. Hey, take your Bibles and, and open to uh, Ephesians chapter 6. We're in a series of messages, the unseen world, God, angels, demons, God, and you. And uh, the, the messages that in the month of September and, and probably in the first week of October have been in, uh, focusing on the unseen world. And um, we live in a time uh, when much of what's unseen is evil. Much of what's happening that's unseen is spiritually dangerous. It should be sober in the face of evil. In the last four weeks, we've uh, given the big idea of our message, each of the messages, in a prayer. Lord, open my eyes. Lord, pass me not. Lord, help me adore you like your angels adore you. And today, help me to be sober. Lord, make me sober in the face of evil because we don't fixate on it. It's not what we talk about every week. But we live in a time when there is a, a riptide of evil. We live in a nation where there's a riptide of evil pulling at us, pulling at the ones we love into things that would ultimately pull us into hell or, or at least to destroy our lives. There's serious spiritual opposition all around us. Listen uh, to Ephesians in chapter 6 and verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is a this is a poetic way of saying Satan and demons. We, we actually are in conflict with Satan and demons. If the Bible is true, and it is, then there's a great evil conflict going on all around us, all the time, unseen, that involves the devil and, and demons. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And then it goes on to give the, what, what's been known as the panoply of God, the, the, the armor of the Christian, the, the things that the Christian has in order to respond, in order to, to do you know, battle in, in this evil day. But, but, but first we need to set our hearts on this truth, that 
the world, the Bible says, the whole world is under the influence of evil. Listen to Ephesians 2 and verse 2. In which you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, which is a name for Satan, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, whom we all once conducted ourselves in lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath. The Bible teaches that in the unseen world, in this, in this world, that the prince of the power of the air is the spirit that works in the sons of disobedience, which works in all of us before we knew the Lord. It's the devil. First John 5, 19 says it this way. The whole world lies under the influence of the evil one. Now, if you want to understand your world, if you want to understand your evening news, if you want to understand what happens when you put your kids on the bus or, or try to homeschool them, you, you need to understand this. The whole world lies under the influence of the evil one. Now, that's how you need to understand the world, according to the Bible. Our nation, if you're discerning it all, I think you have to admit, our whole nation is in the grip of evil. Our whole nation is flooded with evil things, flooded with rebellion against God. Our church, the Bible says, even our church, and all good churches, the Bible teaches are, are at war against evil. Listen to this. 1 Timothy 4.1, now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, or doctrines that come from demons. So demons do church too. And, they, and, they, and, they, and so there, there are doctrines that have their source in, in demons. Makes, makes a lot of sense when you think about why would some false religions have such powerful attraction when they're so bizarre. But Satan and demons don't limit themselves to working in doctrinally aberrant churches. They also, they also are at work in, in, in evangelical churches. So our nation is at war with evil. It's under the influence of evil. The whole world is under the influence of evil. This is what the Bible teaches in the unseen world. And our churches are doing battle with evil. And, I, and this is true in our homes. Uh, our homes are under continual attack from evil forces. You, you just, if you believe the Bible, this is what you have to believe. Because there aren't a few spotty references to this in the Bible. The entire scriptures are filled with references to this. And so in your home, in your marriage, in your relationship with your sons and daughters, grandsons and granddaughters, and you know, cousins and in-laws and all of that, there's the influence of evil that's very real all the time. And, and the scriptures teach there that each of us are in, in conflict in our own soul. Listen to Ephesians 6.13. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of, this, of the darkness of this age, as we had just read. So maybe it would sober us to study how Satan works. So this isn't a fun message. And it's not a particularly most of it won't really be that encouraging but it's stuff you need to know stuff we need to be aware of and so and today let's um ask the lord special help as, as we talk about how to understand how satan works let's talk to the lord now lord we we believe your word we love the good parts about heaven and love and angels we love the good parts about kindness and goodness and wholesome things we love the good parts about virtue and and uh, lord but there are other parts 
that explain why there is such horrific and horrendous evil in the world. Help us understand it so that, Lord, we're sober in the face of evil, that we're serious about this. Amen. Jesus said in John 8 that Satan is a liar and he lies in order that he can murder. He kills with lies and deceit. He wants to embed in your mind things that aren't true. Listen to John 8, 44. You're of your father, the devil. I like Jesus' direction, his direct approach there. You are of your father, the devil. Like Jesus must not have taken that Dale Carnegie course, right? You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. And he was a murderer from the beginning. So Satan is a deceiver, liar, and, and, he, and he deceives so that he can snuff out life wherever he finds it. Are you, are you paying attention? So if there's something you love and you like, it's beautiful and, and good and wholesome and pure, Satan hates it and wants to destroy it. Jesus said, Jesus exposed that uh, publicly talking to those who are following him in Revelation 12 and verse 9. You're familiar. That dra- that this passage talks about the fall of Satan. That, that great dragon was cast out, talking about the casting of Satan out of heaven. That serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who he's described as he accuses or he deceives the whole world. This is what he does. First John 5, 19, we know we are of God, as I mentioned before, and the whole world lies under the sway of the evil one. So, so Satan, think about it like this. Satan's a liar and a murderer. So he, he says things that aren't true, and he tries to get you to believe things that aren't true so that he can snuff out life wherever he sees it. But, but Jesus tells the truth, and he uses truth to give life. And we've mentioned this before, but it's something that we should talk about a lot and think about a lot. It's a great way to organize your thinking. If you believe lies, they're going to end in death to whatever you love. But if you believe truth, and it brings life. That's what Jesus said, John 8, 32. You shall know the truth, the truth shall make you free. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I'm the way and the truth and the life. Uh, John 17, I don't pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. So, the, so, the, so you, you, you got to remember that spiritual warfare, when you understand it at the heart, is a matter of lies and truth, death and life. Something we talked about before. Philippians 4.9 then says, uh, you know, Paul had written, so finally, brethren, um, whatever things are true and whatever things are noble and whatever things are just and whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, these are the things you meditate on. So Satan's ultimate aim is not to destroy just our bodies, but to destroy our soul forever. John 10.10, Jesus said, the thief comes to kill and steal and destroy. So he has many devices to do that. 2 Corinthians, uh, the passage there in 2 Corinthians about uh, being reluctant to forgive the repentant brother says we are not, we don't want to give him an advantage because we're not ignorant of his devices or we're not ignorant of the way he works. So Christians should, you know, kind of based on that and other passages should be aware of how he works. It helps us, you know, to be aware of how he works. So today I want to uh, give you just an avalanche of of truth. So I I already, I made up my mind this morning, our our series just got stretched so that I don't have to talk so fast. Um, And so you can, you you can think uh, clearly. And if you like to take notes, Listen to the audio again, and it will help you. So, I mean, 
I don't say it to be arrogant, it's just full of Bible truth. And so if you could just listen to that, write things down if you want to get those passages. I was listening to a message last week in my basement while I was building some shelves for Lois, assembling some shelves, and I was listening to a message by Tom Harmon. And if you think I talk fast, you should listen to Tom Harmon. Um, wonderful, anointed gospel preacher. And, and he had about an hour-long message that I listened to while I was assembling these shelves. And it was just a mess of loaded with truth. Just a great message, but just like passages here and stories there, just a bunch of stuff. It, was, uh, it wasn't arranged artfully. It was just, a, he just opened his heart, bang, just started. When he got done, he prayed. And he said, Lord, please take this avalanche of scriptures and truths and stories and somehow help people with them. I picked my phone up and called him. I said, Tom, I just listened to your message, the one in Texas where you said, take this avalanche of truth and bless it. He laughed. I said, man, that was a blessing to me. I have been working for weeks on, you know, this message, and, and uh, the, the, the issue really is how much you, you put in, how much you leave out. I, I decided real early this morning when I got up to, to rework all of this into what's well, probably a pretty, a pretty long message. We'll, we'll only go a certain amount of time today. You'll get enough to help you get started today. But it's going to be just an, an avalanche of, of, of scriptures and truths that they really spill out of my heart of being a, a pastor and, and trying to walk with the Lord as a pastor for 40 years and then and watching other people f- succeed and fail and, and, and the kinds of things I've seen Satan do based on the scripture and, and you want to be aware that a, a couple of major categories that in, in which Satan and demons work is to, is to deceive and to distract. To deceive and, and to distract. And, and now just a number of things. Um, we mentioned the battles for the mind. Listen to 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. The weapons of our, our warfare are not carnal but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. The, the weapons that we have are mighty. They're powerful. It's casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And this is the idea that keeps getting repeated, that, if you, if, that, that there's an unseen world, and it isn't all good, there's a great evil, that the world is under the influence of evil, that your family is being attacked by evil, that the church is being infiltrated by evil, that you are doing war with evil, and the way to win that war is with truth in your mind with truth in your hearts. And these are by bringing every thought into captivity. The Bible says in Romans 7, the carnal mind is warfare against God. And every imagination is only evil continually, the Scriptures say there. In the Scriptures, the the condemnation comes. They didn't like to retain God in their imagination. They didn't want to put into their mind truth about God and think about it. The battle's for your mind. Satan and demons still try to steal and destroy if they, if they can't damn. So in other words, if they can't take you to hell, if Satan can't take you to hell because you're a Christian, he's still going to try to mess up your life. He's still going to attack your life. And that's something that you don't want to be aware of. Satan and demons will tempt us to deny their existence or to deny their power or work, to try to put us to sleep so they can go about destroying everything that we love. They'd like us to think there is no battle going on. They'd like us to think that 
that, um, the, that, the, that in the unseen world, all is just like puppies and rainbows. Listen to what uh, C.S. Lewis wrote in the beginning of the Screwtape Letters. If you remember, the Screwtape Letters is a fanciful book where an older demon writes to a younger demon, right? There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about devils. One is to believe in, uh, one is to disbelieve in their existence. And the other is to believe and to feel an excessive or unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased with both errors. They hail the materialist or the magician with the same delight. And so there are, are at least two different errors. You know, one would be to say there, there are no demons, there is no devil. You have to discard the Bible to do that. Or the other is to, is to fixate on that. But a third, maybe a third one that, that C.S. Lewis didn't mention comes to my mind when I think of my experience as a little boy in my neighborhood and I saw a bus from a, from a good Bible-believing church come down our street. And they were, uh, they were advertising their vacation Bible school. They were telling all the kids, uh, the bus is going to come tomorrow. Get on the bus and come to vacation Bible school. And the bus was driving down the street. And then behind the bus was a guy dressed up like the devil with a cape and a little pitchfork and a cape was flowing behind him and he had a pitchfork and he was saying, don't go there, don't go there. And I thought that was pretty comical. And my dad says, yeah, that's probably not good. And I said, well, why not? And he said, because the devil isn't really a comic book character. And uh, I get that. And we need to get that. Well, Satan and demons will, will tempt us to believe that, sin is, that a sin is so small that it won't matter if we commit it. By the way, just so you get the structure of my message, it's just a whole bunch of truths, one after another. Don't try to make too much sense of the structure, okay? That'll help you. Just a whole bunch of things that come to my heart and out of the scriptures, out of our experience in the scriptures. Satan and demons will tempt you to involve yourself in a sin and say it's so small it doesn't matter. And then because he's the accuser of the brethren, once you sin and then you want to, you know, then, then he'll say it's too big to forgive. It's too small to matter. And then he'll say it's too big to forgive. Have any of you had this experience? That's how it works. Satan will, will and demons will try to separate us from godly influences in our life. Remember when Jesus prayed for Peter and he said, Simon, Simon, Satan's desired to have you so that he can separate, sift you. This is what I, what I see over and over again when Satan wants to do his destructive work in a kid's life, he'll get some offense between he and his mom or, he, or she and her dad. He'll separate us from godly influences in our life, an offense against a Sunday school teacher or, or an elder or pastor or something. He'll come in and he'll start to kind of sift, he'll separate a person out to get him, a, and then he'll do his work. This is something you want to watch for. Satan wants to separate you from godly influences in your life. This is a demonic thing. Satan and demons work to embitter us against people who love us. They'll try to plant uh, seeds of unforgiveness in your life. So watch for this to happen. Watch for this to happen. The scriptural basis is, is abundant here. Um, 2 Corinthians is that passage. Remember the fellow sinned egregiously and, and, they, and they were in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, you guys need to, to exercise church discipline. 
and then he, he asks forgiveness, but people are reluctant to forgive him. And so in 2 Corinthians, he writes back and says, so that he won't be burdened with too much guilt, you need to forgive him because we don't want to give the devil a foothold. We're not ignorant of his devices. And what would his device be there? It would be an unwillingness to forgive. Satan loves to get us in a position. Demons would love to get us in a position where we're reluctant to forgive people, where we get hurt and we live with our hurts. This is, this is demonic influence sometimes. So this is something we should, we should really be aware of. Um, I read a book not long ago, a few years ago, called Into the Wild, about a young man named Chris McCandless. It's a story about a boy who, 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 who abandoned his car, burned his money, and traveled west, and eventually traveled up into Alaska and out into the Denali National Forest, and he, he tried to live on his own, completely unprepared, out in this mountain range through the winter in Alaska, and he eventually died. And John Krakauer, the, the writer of this, this powerfully fascinating book about his life, reconstructs his life. What would make a young man do something like this? And his conclusion was that years before that, his dad had been involved in an illicit affair and had covered it up, and this young man had secretly uncovered it and was embittered against his dad, and instead of talking to his dad, he'd refuse all of his father's uh, gifts, uh, gifts of a new car, gifts of graduate school. He was embittered against his dad, and that's really what killed him. And that's a dramatic story, right? But, but it happens in little ways all the time. This is the way the devil works. This is the way demons work. This is the way the evil world works. They want us to harbor little hurts with others and separate us from good influences in our life and then do their business. So if you're a kid, a young man, a young, young woman, and you're here today, watch for this to happen between you and your mom. Watch for this to happen between you and your dad. Don't let something come between you and your mom or dad. If they don't ask your forgiveness, go to them and tell them they hurt you. Explain it to them in a kind and respectful way. Don't let yourself be, you know, ferreted out, you know, about the devil and, and, and isolated so they can destroy you because you have this, this bitterness in your heart. The Bible says it's about husbands and wives and family situations. In, in Ephesians chapter 4, remember, don't let the sun go down upon your wrath because if you do, you give a place to the devil. When you are hurt by your wife or when your husband's insensitive or unkind to you and then you feel embittered and you take that to bed with you, Satan is at work in that. You've given him a place or you have given him a place, an opportunity. That's, that's what he loves. And this would be true in our relationships with each other. Don't let that happen. So this is how he works. This is something we should be aware of. He's often at work in our marriage, our family relationships, in our church fellowships through unforgiven hurts. I had an interesting little exchange on Facebook. I know you're bigger than that, and you don't do Facebook. Congratulations. But me, I'm just a small-minded, petty person, and I do Facebook. <laughs> Sorry about that. I shouldn't say that. That was like, I retract the last 30 seconds of my talk right there. Anyway, I'm on Facebook. So I put, I put a picture of my family back when they looked like they were little house on the prairie. When they were little and I could tell them what to wear, all the girls looked like Laura Ingalls Wilder, and all the boys looked like they stepped off the Bob Jones catalog. <laughs> then they grew up and started to decide what they were going to wear, and 
you know, they didn't look so much like Charles Engel's children anymore. Man buns, tattoos, and whatnot. I put this picture on the, on the internet, and, a, and a, actually a kind of a removed family member says, wow, that's not the family I remember. You know, the family I remember was, wasn't so worldly, and et cetera. And I was kind of like, oh, wow, that was kind of like shots fired. So I wrote him back, and I, I tried to explain to him, you know, well, by the grace of God, you know, the kids do know the Lord, even though they, they don't look like Little House on a Prairie anymore, you know. And, and the Lord looks on the heart, you know, and not on the outward appearance. And, you know, I don't dress them anymore. They don't get up in the morning and go, hey, Dad, what do you want me to wear today? I mean, my oldest is 37. That would be a little weird, wouldn't it? He called me on the phone. Hey, Dad, Wranglers or Levi's today? I don't care. You're 37, you know. You work that out. And I wrote him back, and you know, my tendency was just to blow him up, right? But I didn't do that. I wrote him back a gracious and loving. I said, nothing's going to come between us. I love you. Then he wrote me back. It was the sweetest letter. He said, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have said what I did. I just looked up to you guys so much. I wanted to be like you. I wanted my kids to be like your kids. I said, well, that was a mistake. You shouldn't have been looking up to us. You should be looking up to Jesus because he's the only one worthy of glory. And I said, and we're always going to be friends, and I will always love you. Now, the next time I go to the family reunion, I'm not going to have to avoid him because I'm going to seek him out. Listen to me. A hundred times a week, maybe, maybe 50 times a week, you're going to have a chance to be offended with somebody. You're going to have a chance to be hurt with somebody. You're going to have a chance to cut somebody off. That is not the work of God. That is the devil's work. That is, demons love that stuff. When you cut somebody off, when you allow relational hurts. So please, can I just say to you, pastor's heart to you, don't don't cut people off. Try to keep them in your prayers. Keep them in the circle of your love. Satan and demons will try to do this. Draw us into places and practices that would damage us and make us spiritually vulnerable. Take you places where you could go but you know they're spiritually dangerous. This is one of the things he does. People will tell you this. You may be in a place that seems entirely innocent to you, to others, and you could defend it. No, this is an innocent place, but you know it's a dangerous place for you. I, I know a spiritual leader, a very dynamic spiritual leader, who once said when he was a boy, he made up his mind he wouldn't go roller skating, which does seem like almost like the most wholesome thing a human being could do. But for him, he said, no, he decided then he didn't, he didn't need to go roller skating. Well, that's to him and Lord, it wasn't a legalistic thing. Well, there are things that are a whole lot obviously worse than roller skating. I mean, I'm not saying that roller skating is dangerous for me, but, I, but I'm just saying for, there's nothing wrong with it morally, right? But there are places that, that you might go that would, would, would open you up to temptation that you don't need. And you just want to think about that before you do that. I my daughter, uh, Hope, she was in, in Bible school, and she had a, a series, a number of really good teachers that came through, good men, uh, I think some women, and one of the young guys said he thought it'd be good to, to drink with lost people, just go get a beer and sit down in a bar or drink or whatever, and that because you have more of a hearing with them, and, and um, there are Christians who do that. Um, that, hasn't been my <laughs> that hasn't been my practice 
my parents would have killed me. So it wouldn't have been good for me. And whether or not you drink alcohol is a matter of Christian conscience. But I said, I said to Hope, the way he was teaching that was like, if you really want to be effective, you got to do this, you got to do that. And I, I wasn't real so eager for my kids to, to get a hold of dangerous, you know, beverage alcohol. What if they gave into drunkenness? What if that would get a hold in their life? So I was concerned about that. I said to Hope, I said, why don't you say to him, do you feel like you, you need to drink alcohol? in order to be, you know, an effective evangelist. Because if he says, you know, yes, that would be, that would be folly, wouldn't it? Because I could name a hundred evangelists that don't choose to drink that are effective evangelists. Uh, you know, so, so in matters of Christian conscience, where everyone has to answer to the Lord about their own conscience, Christians are going to fall in different places. But while we agree on that, I think it might be really good for us to realize that there are pastors and Christian workers and young people who are very vulnerable, and we should be circumspect or careful in what we do, right, about, about places we go and things we do, and be aware of dangers that might arise. Are you tracking with me? And that, uh, I'm not saying to you, I'm not, telling, I'm not giving you a list of things that are outside the Bible to do or not to do. What I'm trying to say is, what I'm trying to teach as a pastor, how does Satan work? He gets us in places where we're vulnerable. This, I mean, can, you, you could, every one of you that was honest could probably tell me a personal testimony of this. So I'm just saying about, about that, be, be wise. Satan and demons will try to draw you away from the powerful influence of the church. The church is God's church. The church is good. God-ordained. God's work in the world. And some of the critics of the church are, are some of the greatest, sharpest critics and the most sarcastic uh, critics of the church are, are, are consider themselves Christians. They're, they're in the church. And even though we should have a kind of a humility about us, we should be really, really careful that we don't entertain bad talk about the bride of Christ, because it would be it would make us spiritually vulnerable. Does this make any sense to you? First Timothy three fifteen calls the church the household of God, the church of the living God, the pillar and buttress of the truth. Um, C.S. Lewis C.S. Lewis was writing in this same book, the Screwtape Letters, about about this, and he was saying that w- one demon says to the other demon, "Here's what you want to do: you want to get people to notice." how weird church people are. This is what, essentially what he says. You want to get people to notice the inconsistencies of church people or the oddities of church people or the things about church people that are unlovely so that they never see the dynamic of the church as God sees it in heaven. So here's the way he says it in a kind of an artful way. One of our great allies at present is the church itself. Do not misunderstand me. I do not mean the church as we see, as we see her, spread out throughout all time and space and rooted in eternity, terrible as an army with banners. In other words, this demon is saying, we know the truth that the church is spread throughout time and eternity and it's awesome and it's terrible as an army with banners and it frightens us that are evil, right? We know this is true about the church, he's saying. That, I confess, is a spectacle which makes even our boldest tempters uneasy But fortunately, it is quite invisible to humans. 
All your patient sees is the half-finished sham gothic erection in the new building estate. When he goes inside, he sees the local grocer, rather than a oil, rather in an oily expression on his face, bustling up to offer him one shiny little book containing a liturgy, which neither of them understands, and one shabby little book containing a corrupt text of a number of religious lyrics, mostly bad, and a very small print. And when he gets to his pew, he looks around and he sees just that selection of his neighbors whom he has hitherto avoided. (laughs) You want to lean pretty heavily on those neighbors. Make his mind fit, flit to and fro between an expression like the body of Christ and then the actual faces in the next pew. It matters very little, of course, what kind of people that next pew contains. You may know one of them to be a great warrior on the enemy's side. No matter. Your patient thinks to our father below is a fool provided that any of these neighbors sing out of tune or have boots that squeak or double chins or odd clothes the patient will quite easily believe that religion must therefore be somehow ridiculous in other words one of satan's tactics is to make church look weak and stupid and church people look silly and weak or stupid or to attack the church or to malign the church or to make fun of the church it's satan's work to make fun of the church It's God sees the church terrible as an army with banners spread across all time, God's work in God's world. And so this is something you should recognize when you see it. Making fun of the church is probably not a very good idea. Spend that time being an expression of the church that pleases God. Spend that time in prayer. Spend that time in seeking out other people to know the Lord. Satan and demons will disrupt and, uh, disru- dis- disrupt and interfere with our prayers. Take your Bible and look at a, a, a remarkable incident in the book of Daniel, chapter 10. You may be familiar with this. And it illustrates this point, that Satan wants to interfere with our prayers. And so, I mean, the opposite and uh, uh, important understanding would be, since Satan wants to interfere with our prayers, it might be a good idea for us to pray regularly and to believe in prayer and to believe that when we take things to God, even though when we're tempted to believe that he's not going to answer our prayers or prayer doesn't work or prayer doesn't matter, that if you read the Bible, you see that it matters a great deal when you pray, that things happen in the heavenlies when you pray. And so here was Daniel, a a man in Babylon starting out young, and he was a godly man, a godly young man. They said that everybody could see it. They said the spirit of the holy gods is upon him. And he was a Bible-reading guy. He's reading the Bible that he had, you know, the prophecies, to see what was going to happen. And when he saw what was going to happen, he was a promise-claiming guy. So here's this godly guy who reads his Bible and prays and claims the promises of God. By the way, young man, there's a model for you. Even if your name isn't Daniel, there's a model for you. Follow God with all of your heart, with all of your strength, that other people that would look on you would say, the spirit of the holy God is in that guy. And read your Bible and claim the promises of God and pray and all heaven will notice when a teenage kid, guy or girl, gets down on their knees by their bed and they start to stutter out a little weak prayer to God. All of heaven takes notice of that. When a mother whose heart is broken over things that are going on in her life that break her heart, sis whispers a a broken horse prayer to God. Demons and angels lean over to listen and God answers prayer. We should pray more. Heaven and earth are moved by prayer. This is what the Bible says. I hate it when people say, or I find myself saying, well, all we can do now is pray. 
What kind of talk is that? When heaven and earth are moved by prayer, why would we ever say, well, now it's just, I guess we pray. Here's what, here's an incident in Daniel 10. And behold, a, a hand touched me, set me trembling on my hands and knees, said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understood the words that I speak to you, and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken, when he had um, and, uh, and when he had spoken this word to me, I stood trembling. And then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. So this is, I'm breaking into the middle of a narrative. An angel is talking to Daniel about an answer to his prayer. And he called it, When You, when you Humbled Yourself. He said, Then he said, don't fear. From the first day, you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God. Here's what you want to see. There's a, there's a young, young man reading his Bible and understanding what God said and then humbling himself and praying for God to do what God promised. Anybody can do this. You can do this today. You can do this in your truck on the way to work. You can do this when you take a break and you go over there and everybody's telling dirty jokes. You can go over to the corner and you can humble yourself before the Lord, and you can pray, pray to God, right? And, and here's what he says. And he said, fear not, from the first day that you set your heart to understand, humbled yourself before God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. And the prince of the king of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief, this is pretty dicey stuff, isn't it? So this is a pretty interesting passage, isn't it? I, I think it is. I'm like, this would be a good movie. So Daniel prays, the angel comes, gets opposed by a demon, prince of Persia. Michael, the archangel, comes to the rescue. Might have been interesting to see. Uh, and then the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days and the vision is yet to come. And then he gives him this remarkable vision of things to come, this traumatic dramatic prophetic vision he gives him in answers to his prayer so long story short god loves prayer satan hates it satan opposes prayer right he doesn't want you to do it so that would be a very good reason for you to do it now we have we have if you study the scriptures we're going to see i don't even want to tell you the number a number of things that spilled into my heart about these kinds of things the way that the evil one works. But it wouldn't be good for us to leave you here. Here's what we want to do today. We want to remind you of a couple things before we go. And these are important things. And that is this. Satan, you know, our, our, our adversary is great. Satan and his demonic hordes are millions. And they're powerful. They're not, remember, they're not omnipotent, but they know a lot. They, 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 they're powerful. They're not omniscient, but they know a lot. They, there's a lot they can do, but they can't do everything. And, and so it's important for us to understand that even though our adversary is great, like we've been talking about today, the armor that we have or the means that we have to resist them are very simple, but they're very powerful. If you go back, and we won't right now, if you go back to Ephesians chapter 6 and you read the list of things like the belt of truth and so forth, and you read the, the armor, what's really remarkable about it is that it is unremarkable. 
It's not like some kind of crazy incantations or crazy exorcisms or all kinds of like bizarre kinds of uh, sophisticated things. It's simple things like the Word of God, righteousness, the gospel of peace, your salvation, prayer, truth, things like that. God does powerful things with these simple weapons that he's given to us. You can be delivered from great uh, damage to your, to your soul. You can be delivered from sinful bondage. You can experience God in a powerful way with the simple, powerful weapons that are listed in Ephesians chapter 6 because God eventually is going to win and he's on your side. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't take our enemy seriously. Just to give you a flourish of promises and then we're going to leave you with a powerful song. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under his feet. In the meantime, he's a dangerous enemy, but the God of peace will, I'm sorry, will soon crush Satan under, I misquoted it, didn't I? Under, under our feet, under your feet, the Son of God appeared to destroy the works of the devil. First John says, Hebrews 2 and 14, Christ took on human nature through death that he might destroy him who has the power of death, that is the devil. What he's saying is this. So our, our, this, Satan is real. Demons are real. The danger is real. It's ongoing. It's real for unbelievers and it's real for believers. But all the things that are listed in the, that, the, in the armor of God that are the means that a believer has to resist these evil things are rooted in what Christ did on the cross. They're rooted in who Jesus is and what Jesus did. They're reminding ourselves of the truth of who Jesus is and what he did. We don't need anything more or anything else than that. These are spiritually powerful things for us to go back and to remind ourselves about who Jesus is, what Jesus taught, what Jesus did on the cross. So then Jesus in his death, burial, resurrection, and in our fellowship with him, our oneness with him, this is how we overcome the evil that's in our world. God disarmed the principalities, powers, made a public example of them, triumphing over him. In other words... When Jesus struck a, 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 a final blow on Calvary, that's in Colossians 2.15, Mark 3.27, no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he binds a strong man. And in that passage, the strong man is Jesus. And the devil, the Bible says in Revelation 12, 20 and 10, will be thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone and tormented day and night forever. But let me leave you with this. Turn in your Bibles to Romans 8 again, as I know this is a beloved passage and one that's familiar with you. So turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Would you do that just for a moment? Because we want to leave you with this, and then a song, a very powerful song, that we hope will ring in your heart to encourage you that you have an adversary like who's real, and you should take that seriously and live soberly. But you have an ally who is infinitely powerful, who loves you, and you belong to him, and he's going to take care of you. And so this is what the scriptures say in Romans and chapter 8 and verse 31. Who, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, doesn't matter who lines up against us, and eventually he's going to list principalities and powers. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things, everything that we need? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? 
It is God who justifies, who condemns. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. So you see this appeal to the cross, to the things that Jesus did and the things that Jesus taught, that he, was, that he died on the cross for our sins, that he was buried, that he rose again, that he's praying for us now, that we're in him, right? That's the, that's the ultimate answer here. And then he says, and who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he lists, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long and regarded as sheep to be slaughtered, but in all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. Even on our worst day when we're lined up by ISIS to have our throats slit, we, we can't be defeated if we're in Christ. Are you tracking with me? And so you may have a setback. You may have a, a, the world, the flesh, and the devil have been beating you up. It would be important for you to realize you take that very seriously so it drives you into genuine fellowship with the Lord and meaningful times and expressions of devotion to God. That you take the Bible seriously, and you take prayer seriously, and you take soul winning seriously, and you take church seriously because we're at war, but you're not defeated because Jesus has already defeated that enemy, and you get to enter into his victory. And that's why it says, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. And I am sure that neither, listen to this, death or life or, listen, angels or rulers or things present or things to come, or powers, or height or depth, or any other thing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I want you to hear a song about this right now. Listen with your hearts to this song. Maybe just close your eyes and think this. We are in a very real spiritual warfare and the people that we love and the things that we value and love are at stake in this warfare. We eventually win, but there are going to be casualties between here and there. And we have the power of God, so we want to take the things of God seriously. Lord, make us sober in the face of evil.